Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rohrkraut. And today, I think we have the episode I've been waiting my whole entire life to record, and that is our celebration of my favorite filmmaker currently working, Paul Thomas Anderson. We will be doing a deep dive on his latest film, Licorice Pizza. But before we dive into PTA, we have a special guest with us today. We were on his show earlier, Chasing the Gold through In Session Film. Big PTA fan, please welcome Ryan McQuaid. Thank you guys for having me on. Oh my God, this is this is it. We're doing it. We've been talking about this for, I think, a couple of months now. And the anticipation has been building and building and building. And I've been... <laughs> I've actually just been sitting in this chair for the last two months. I haven't moved. Uh, my family all had to come to this chair for Christmas, give me the gifts and stuff. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm waiting to podcast. Please don't take too much time. But yes, I'm I'm ready. And I'm so excited to do this. You're like Reynolds Woodcock sitting at the breakfast table. Like just yeah. no one bother me until it's I, my time. I don't have time for confrontations, Nicholas. All right. <laughs> I'm glad you're here, Ryan. Don't even. And Happy New Year. This is <laughs> our first episode of 2022. I think this is going to be an amazing way to start out the year. We'll see. We'll see what everyone says, and we'll see how it goes from there. About that. <laughs> yeah. Temper expectations a little bit, but also, I'm super pumped. I know. I'm so excited. So let's get into Licorice Pizza. Once we finish the description, all bets are off for spoilers, so this is your warning. It's 1973 in the San Fernando Valley. Gary Valentine, a young huckster showman, feels pulled towards Alana Kane, a photographer's assistant at his high school picture day. Misadventures follow as Gary recruits Alana to help him run his burgeoning waterbed business, and she tries to find her place as an early 20-something in the world. It is written and directed by the master Paul Thomas Anderson and stars an incredible ensemble cast, Alana Haim, Cooper Hoffman, Bradley Cooper, Sean Penn, Benny Safdie, Harriet Sansom Harris, and many more. We've kind of grazed over this already, but what did you like about the movie just generally before we break it down? Oh my God. I don't get a lot of time to see movies twice in their given year. Full disclosure, I don't give movies five out of five within their given year on Letterboxd because I think time and rewatchability have to play into a factor before they get into a five-star rating to be considered one of my favorites are perfect or what, however you want to describe that rating. And yet I have seen licorice pizza twice. I saw it yesterday purposefully because the first time I saw it, I was in a room full of like seven other critics and we were all spaced out. And it's like the worst way to watch a Paul Thomas Anderson movie is with like limited people in your audience. And I've seen every Paul Thomas Anderson movie since the master with my wife and they are event films. They are, something that connects us i mean obviously you know i'm that guy that has shown his wife and friends paul thomas anderson movie way too many times to the point in which like i just asked her when we were done I'm like where do you rank it and she's like i think i liked it more than phantom thread but i didn't like it as much as there will be blood and she's she was doing her own ranking as we were driving away but i had a lot of questions after the first time i watched it and then the second time just reaffirmed that this is a really damn good movie and that it's labeled as an easy breezy comedy. It's almost labeled as like a weird kinship to Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I actually found this movie really sad. Mm -hmm. And I think that this movie is very 
purposeful in its commentary. I think that it is a movie about identity, especially in your late 20s, trying to figure out what you want to be, where you want to be in the world, who you're attaching yourself to. Being a lost soul is definitely what this movie is about. And Alana Hines' performance is one of the best of the year. I mean, she's incredible because you can see her angst but frustration throughout the entire film. And of this girl that wants to grow up, wants to have a boyfriend, wants to have the life maybe that her sisters have, but is inherently drawn to this 15-year-old hustler and his friends. She multiple times throughout the film goes, you think it's kind of weird that I'm hanging out with these guys? And you as an audience are like, isn't it kind of weird that she's hanging out with these guys? But it's because she doesn't really belong in that other world, and yet she doesn't belong here. And it's funny to say that because all the adults in this movie are horrible people. Mm -hmm. They are horrible people. They're racist, misogynist, anti-Semitic. That's the 1970s. That's the culture that has brought upon everything that we've had the reckoning over the last couple of years. It's been, you know, sort of planted all these seeds of terrible things that have happened in this place that he's grown up in. And I think Paul Thomas Anderson is coming to the reckoning of that. That's my commentary on every age gap racist thing that's been said about this movie is, yeah, it's a movie made in the 1970s. As a Latino critic, one of the first lines in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, my favorite film of 2019 was, don't cry in front of the Mexicans, all right? doesn't make me feel great when I hear that either, but you know what? It's of the time of the era. These people are all worried about their image. There's not a PC morality sort of you know play there. People were very upfront, even though this is considered the most liberal place in the world, of how bad they are. And yet, Alana is a very sort of innocent person and doesn't really attach herself to any of that. But yet, she's hanging out with this guy that is a hustler. He's an actor. He's a waterbed salesman. He's a pinball wizard. You know, there's all these different things that you can say about him. And they ride this immaturity bandwagon between the two of them of one minute they want to be with each other. The next minute they want to be with someone else to make the other one look bad. And it's funny, it's dark, it's just tragic at the end. Like, at the end, I'm not smiling. Mm-mm. I'm not, like, grinning. I feel bad for him because I've seen relationships that are like that, where they go back to the safest thing possible, even though it's not good for them either. And it's a damn good movie. And I don't understand why people are calling it, like, his most accessible, most uh, easygoing movie, because on the surface, maybe that is the case. But in all actuality, I actually think it's not that. I actually think like Phantom Thread is more accessible than something like this. Because I think that this movie is like not the movie I would show a non-PTA person going in because of the fact that I think they would miss the point. And I think a lot of people are. It's one of the best movies of the year. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. I really don't know where to begin when talking about this movie because I think that, you know, yes, I absolutely adore PTA as we've discussed, but there are some of his movies that... I don't like as well as my Phantom Threads or my There Will Be Bloods. And I wasn't sure, I think, what this one would be because I did have some concern that it would be more like Inherent Vice. But going to see it on film, blown up 70 millimeter in the money seat, like right at the edge of the balcony, 
front row. You can hear the projector going was just like the closest thing to heaven that there is for a moviegoer. And I think that PTA plays with that idea in the movie too. I think you're right, Ryan, about like the misunderstanding of this movie. I'm never going to on this show and I hope I've never done this. I'm never going to tell someone like, this is how you should feel about a particular movie. Like that is your prerogative. But what I like about this is that tension that exists in PTA movies in these relationships, which is oftentimes, you know, what are these people going to do together? What is their relationship going to be like together? But I think what's fascinating here is that I was actually never rooting for Gary and Alana to be together. I found a profound sadness in this movie, which is that, you know, and it's not because of the age gap that I didn't want them to be together. I think there's a lot of ambiguity actually with Alana's age, but I I found myself wanting them to grow individually and thinking of, okay, if they're together in this relationship, this friendship, I think it's kind of an episodic journey of infatuation. It's all about what happens when you just want attention. Alana doesn't want him sexually in this movie, and that's so purposeful. She just wants that attention. She wants to feel wanted because with all of the cultural cues she's getting in the 1970s from the media, from the men around her who are absolute garbage, besides her dad, who is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. Though she has a very hostile relationship with mm-hmm. her father. Exactly. Well. She's yeah, getting all of these influences from men and she's like, where do I fit into all of this? How can I find a place for myself here? And she sees Gary as, you know, he has a lot in common with these men that are way older than her who are way more volatile. PTA loves volatile characters. And she's one too, but there is this core tension in the movie of Gary's treating her well right now, but will he become one of these men when he grows up? Because right now he has the same thing that they have, which is the showmanship, which is the way to control the room, the way to get people on your side, just like Joel Wax, just like John Peters. He has those abilities, but what will he become when he is actually an adult? Will he stay stunted in this like emotional immaturity that he has as an adult? Or will he grow due to this relationship with Alana, this I'm never going to forget you type of relationship? I think that's fascinating. And I think that it feels, yes, like on the surface, I think like this easygoing 70s hangout movie. But it's so cool because it just feels like he isn't concerned about being perfect anymore, even though he made like a nearly perfect movie again. It feels like he's settled back into just, like, grabbing a handheld camera with his friends from high school. Like, he's 15 again, and he's just in his backyard filming everything. But he has all of the humility and control of someone who is totally happy with where they are in life and in their career. And that is just, like, I'm going to give you something that's so beautiful, but also still has that, like, deep sadness, but wistfulness that makes you think long after you've seen it. I will say after my first viewing, I was a bit confused it's very much a journey. You know, you go through a lot of these almost vignettes in their life together. And I was like, okay, where is this going? Why are we having all of these things happen and people show up and you guys can talk about that more with this film. But from the minute they meet, which is like maybe two or three minutes into this movie, you're just totally consumed by his desire for her. And the camera captures all of that so, so well. The writing in this movie 
I took notes my second viewing and it's like all of the one-liners are just basically a whole notebook full. And I think the writing was a big thing for me why I like this movie. But I think where the movie ends, you still have a lot of questions and you both have spoken about that already. But it's very much a vibe movie. Like I didn't grow up in the 70s. I don't know much about the 70s. You love 70s movies, Sophia. So you do way more than I um, understand this world, maybe. But you get to learn about, you know, the oil crisis and the way people were and the way they dressed and what was going on in the valley at that time. And they think there is a lot of charm in this movie. And that's why it's one to return to, for sure. I think, too, like, I love how, and you talking about, like, I love the 70s. Robert Altman is my other favorite director. Just say it out loud, Sophia, for all to hear. God, so, oh my God. Love him. Oh my God. And I yes. think what he does, that PTA does here, you know, having that darkness underneath, having these political themes bubbling up under the surface, but also everything is connected so seamlessly where I was like, how on earth did he get all of these stories to flow it does not make any sense on paper, like how this would ever work, but it does so well. I was just so like on board for this journey and where it was headed. And I love that he was able to do that and bring in all of these stories because I think, you know, yes, like you talked about the comparisons to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and that's a movie I adore too, but that movie has this intense nostalgia for the era Mm -hmm. and it definitely Mm -hmm. i think romanticizes the period right like that's 1969 but very you know similar that hollywood age and this doesn't feel like that only because i think that tarantino is so interested in myth making and i love Mm -hmm. that about him and i love that about the movie but this to me feels more like a memory this movie is based on Gary Getzman, who's a real-life person, who Gary Valentine is based on. And to me, some of these scenes in the movie, it's almost like what happens with your memories, which is that you view them through rose-colored glasses, you embellish them. It's almost like he said to PTA, like, oh my god, one time I was with this girl and, you know, she changed my life. I couldn't drive anywhere, so she had to drive me and we went and delivered a waterbed to John Peter's house. (laughs) It feels like he is reconstructing this memory, and that's what I really love about it. And that's why I think it's a more inventive way to capture that part of California in the time period that's very adjacent to these famous people in film. It feels sharper. Absolutely. I think it's... When I bring up Hollywood, I think this is an antithesis mm-hmm. to that. Like, it is it is not a companion piece in the sense of like, oh, these two are the same thing. I think that... Like you mentioned, Sophia, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Tarantino giving a warm hug to this place in time and era because he's literally saying that movies can save someone's life. Cinema can save all of us. And that's a great message to have. But what Paul Thomas Anderson is saying is, uh, I heard all these stories and uh, I think they're all pretty messed up. And <laughs> and I'm going to slap this whole place in the face, this memory of what it's almost like, you know, when you're a kid. And you hear a story from your family and you hear the story and you think as a kid, oh, my God, they sound invincible. They sound great. They sound like they're riding high and everything. And then you get older and you hear the story over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to the point in which you're like, wait a minute. It doesn't sound as a bed of roses as I remember it being. There's actually something there, not on the surface, but underneath that sounds pretty messed up. Mm-hmm. That sounds like 
it's worth exploring. And I think that that's what he's doing here because he's he's come from this era, from this era and this area with a lot of love in his in his film, like with Boogie Nights, with Magnolia, with Inherent Vice also, right? Most of those films, even though they're the characters and what happens to them is usually more at the forefront. The setting is still very much like all these terrible things are happening to these people in this beautiful area of California Mm -hmm. coming by land right now. In this movie, it's like, stay the hell away from this place and stay away from these people. You can have your life in, you know, wherever you're from, but don't come here because you're going to end up becoming like you guys said, the con men that really all these guys are, they can have a mansion they can have a PR firm. They can own a sashimi restaurant. They can be a classic actor that jumps motorcycles at a, at a bar, whatever they may be. But they're all still, in a way, the same person. And I agree with you. Like She keeps going back to Gary because there's the hope that maybe he's not going to be that. But ultimately, throughout this movie, he continues to prove he's on a path. Maybe it's the era. Maybe it is the the people that he's around, the connections he has through Hollywood and everything of that. He's going to possibly end up on that track. And yet the way that she runs down the street with them at the end, I took that at first when I first saw it, I went, oh, she didn't say it out loud. That's in her head, maybe. Mm -hmm. But then the second time I went, her mouth looks like it's moving just a little bit. And I'm like, did she say it out loud? Does she say she actually loves it? Is that moment in Gary's head? Is that a moment where she's doing once again the actions that she's had throughout this entire film? She is trying to find love in a hopeless place. You know, like, I know that's like a terrible thing to say, but it's just the truth. Like, it feels she feels like someone, you know, that is lost. And I feel like a lot of us have friends or are part of this generation right now that so many people are really lost right now and they don't know what they want to do with their lives or they have so much untapped potential and they're so charismatic or talented, but yet they don't know how to bottle it up. They don't have the resources and people abuse them. And also this movie has like Nick says, some of the great one liners like, Oh fuck off, Danielle. So good. Like that to me, this, the second time around was just, was just great. I mean, there are cameos but I call them supporting actors mm-hmm. in this movie that steal, steal the show because they're so vile, but they're so good. And they understood the assignment so well. My God, Bradley Cooper. My God. <sighs> I haven't seen him that good in years. And he is such a good asshole. I mean, like, mm-hmm. he's always been that. Like, that's why Nightmare Alley doesn't work. Because he's like trying to play a pretty boy. He's trying to be Le- he's trying to be Leo, and he's not Leo. He has always been a great cinematic asshole. That's who he is. So of course he plays this character. Of course he does. Sean Penn, who's one of the worst human beings on the planet. You know, not environmentally speaking, but like you know, in his relationships, and he's one of the best actors we have. And he's wanted to work with PTA. They wanted to work with each other forever, mm-hmm. and of course he goes. And he's just spewing gobbledygook about his time mm-hmm. over in the war because that's all Sean Penn does nowadays is spew gobbledygook. It's perfect. It's like all these all these people are perfect in their roles. And yet the central message of loneliness and isolation 
and everything. Like to make this movie during this time and during COVID and everything, not saying this is a COVID movie or anything, but our generation has felt like, especially for me, lost a year of their youth, lost a year of how I can get to the next level of where I want to be at ultimately in life. And I think that this movie really tackles that. It's definitely like his most of our generation speaking to that because he makes a lot of adult movies and adult themes. This one is like, okay, I know this era of my filmmaking, like this, like our era of filmmaking has been so important. It almost felt like he was making this for Sophia, for you, Nick, for me. It's like, this one is for my fans. This is for all you PTA kids that have grown up because that's what his kids have done. And yeah, it's also weirdly like a home movie. Mm -hmm. He's like, because of COVID, he's like, I couldn't go and find this person. So I cast this 15-year-old kid, 16-year-old kid that I've known my entire life, who's Cooper Hoffman. And you're like, wait, he's going to do what? He's going to put Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid in a movie and make me fucking lose my mind? But the fact that this kid has never acted before and yet, like, what, what a discovery. Also, like, I don't know what you guys thought, but watching him... In certain segments of this movie, especially towards the end of the movie, when he's walking down the street, he's sort of bumbling and sewing because he's exhausted and he sees Alana. I saw his dad and his dad was literally my favorite actor on the planet. And it was a lot because of their collaborations with PTA. And it was like, shit, Mm -hmm. like that. Like The last 15 minutes, the second go around, I was like, oh, you beautiful bastard you've done it again like <laughs> well do so you see good. how glassy my eyes are right now thinking about philip seymour hoffman yeah that that casting i do think like this movie is the movie shot in covid that was not hindered by covid he embraced the constraints and he viewed them as a way to make his movie there is a mm-hmm. deep profound like spiritual connection casting the son of one of your greatest longtime collaborators And there's a moment in the movie when I laugh and then cry every time because it reminds me so much of his dad. But it's when Gary, just this big kid sitting next to all of these little kids waiting (laughs) to go into that room where Maya Rudolph is the casting assistant. And he tries on the vest and he's just doing this whole song and dance. And there's a part when he throws his arm out when he's doing the cold read. And he says, my face is a pimply mess and I don't know what to do. And it makes me laugh so hard because it's so funny. But also he looks so much like his dad in that moment. Like the mannerisms are so there. And I'm like, wow, like PTA casting you is a way to kind of bring Philip Seymour Hoffman back to life on screen for a little bit. And that's so important. I think that's one of the best things that Cooper Hoffman and PTA were able to do for each other in this movie. And now you're going to make me cry. Oh, my God. It's surprising that he hadn't been in any of his movies before with his dad. And to bring him in now as the lead is like, you know, this is meant to be. Like, why is it such a shock to everybody? But it works. Philip Seymour Hoffman, watching all of PTA's movies this week, it's like he has the most range. He's incredible. And I mean, we can hope that for Cooper. You know, it's scary to kind of put that challenge before him right now Mm -hmm. as he's beginning you know hopefully he has a few more pictures in the future and we can see what he does but I don't want to group them together too early in his career well I think what's so cool too about that is that with casting Cooper Hoffman and Alana Haim PTA told both of them like don't get acting coaches don't take acting lessons like I've got you what a king 
What a like, king. Like, you go from working Just... with Daniel Day-Lewis in your last Lewis. movie to working with a kid who's like, oh, by the way, I need to remind you to eat a snack. Trey, it's a very, very mm-hmm. different challenge. But I think the fact that he doesn't want him to be his dad. He didn't want him to play his dad. He wanted him to, like, bring out those charms within himself. And I think that's very much what he did with Philip Seymour Hoffman, too. That's why he's incredible in all those movies. And, you know, Cooper Hoffman, no agent either. The fact that he's just, like, kind of catching on with people is the testament to his acting ability and just his personality in this movie. I think from the second that you meet him, too... And you see him looking into the mirror, combing his hair. It was so funny. When my parents watched this, they were like, do you remember? They used to like give you combs at picture day. That was a thing in the 70s. <laughs> when you see him in the mirror, like he has acne. He's not like this perfect looking, like Jacob Elordi euphoria teen. <laughs> like he looks like a real person. And that is, I think, something yeah. else I love about this. And it was so comforting to see like Alana Heim not glammed yes. up looks like a real person looks like a real woman in her 20s and all those kids kirk greg his brother like they look like kids in 1973 and he just let them be that way and also having her sisters having the heim trio be even like because you know that if it was wasn't COVID, or maybe if it wasn't i don't know because i know that they he sort of thought about you know when they were doing the music videos that's another tool that he used beyond his you know this kid that he's seen grow up because his father was his just dare i say his muse i mean for so many years in his films and then to have these girls who are so multi-talented and to be able to find that this girl gives one of the best performances of the year is extraordinary it's not surprising to me that paul thomas anderson is able to do that because every film he's made he's gotten pretty much the best performances out of every one of those actors i mean for god's sakes he made mark Wahlberg a good actor, <laughs> um, which is you know incredible and it is also funny that like most of the main actors of your film are very unexperienced actors they're kid actors it's his supporting come in for a, a scene or two the veteran actors are really in the backdrop to these characters and i think that's very purposeful and I immediately when I found out that Cooper Hoffman was going to be involved, I did sob because I thought about, oh, my God, this is this is like a full circle moment for all of us. And it's like we get a chance to say hello to an old friend again. And I wouldn't want anyone else to be with him. And I don't give a shit how selfish that sounds. I only want Cooper Hoffman with Paul Thomas Anderson because... It's the only one that can <laughs> that can get it right, it feels like. Just like I thought with Philip Seymour Hoffman, I thought the only time, every time that he did something with PTA was like, yes, you've been great in all these other things, but this is this is your foundational work. Like, this is the stuff you s- submit to the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. But then, I mean, I, I don't know what you guys thought of these cameos or these supporting mm-hmm. performances. These are supporting <laughs> performances that people want to call as cameos and write them off. And I don't like that because... There are no small roles or only small parts. I I don't know what the stupid thing is called. But (laughs) anyway, they're all vital to this film. They're all great. I don't know what you guys thought of some of these little moments in the film. Yeah, I think let's like talk through some of these because that was just 
like such a highlight of this movie for me was how we have these two unknowns who are the center of our story, but around them we have so many famous people who are just in for a moment. And I feel like that's so brilliant as to like what these characters would have gone through in the period and how those the stories and the memories work. It feels very real. And especially when we get the flip to when Alana is, you know, choosing to become an actress and she is having that audition with Jack Holden, that's when the movie gets darker. That's when we get that signature PTA okay, like we have a sense of trepidation here, some tension. What is this all going to be? And I really love that structurally. Also, did you guys notice the blink and you might miss it John C. Riley cameo? Love that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Herman Munster. Herman Munster is freaking great. Well, that's when we get our soggy bottom moment too. Did you catch that? Yeah. Which it still should have been called soggy (laughs) bottom. It's so funny he didn't ever want it to be Soggy Bottom, though. It was just like a mistake. Then why why put that out there? To tease us. Brilliant bastard. (laughs) I mean, it fits. It's, you know, changing it to Licorice Pizza is what the film is all about. But, you know, Soggy Bottom talks about this waterbed business, which is kind of what Gary is. You know, that's one of his lives that he's had. One of these ventures. So I think they both, in a way, characterize what this movie is saying, but... They're also just fun words. <laughs> like I like licorice pizza. <laughs> I do like I think it's it. a bit smarter. Yeah. yeah. I do mm-hmm. love when Gary first sees the waterbed and it is almost like he's in a dream. Like this woman is luring him in. We get Leonardo DiCaprio's dad, <laughs> George. Mm-hmm. God. <laughs> George DiCaprio. My God. <laughs> Groove on that. <laughs> what a tanned legend. I mean, look at that guy. I mean, just that's why. Well, isn't it was like kind of the Leo was sort of circling the project mm-hmm. at first. And I was like, well, you got the better DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but, well, it was apparently that Leo was in talks for this and Nightmare Alley. And then Bradley Cooper was in one. And then Leo had to drop out of the other. And so he Cooper got both. And then, I mean, he chose. <sighs> Don't look up. Uh, anyway, uh, that's. <laughs> you know, just saying, uh, terrible choice. I think he would have made Nightmare Alley a hell of a lot better because he fits that role. He does. Especially like the end. Like would have would have got full revenant callback with the beard and mm-hmm. everything. Oh yeah, it would have been great. Mm-hmm. Um but like I don't I couldn't see him as Peters in this film Mm-mm. though, Leo. But I, but his dad I agree with you. Like that scene, because I saw some people even critiquing that scene, um, where he's getting the the waterbed and everything and, and certain things like that. And I saw that and I went I went back on the second one. I was like, I was watching. I was like, it's just just two people trying to sell a waterbed. I just love the needle drop of like, you know, I've had that song in my head. I've had so many songs mm-hmm. in my head over the last couple of days. I know we'll talk about that, but you can see the con man sort of sort of like how he's going to sell it to because then he goes to the expo and he's selling it sort of like that only in a different way. And to see that those two scenes build together, I was like how Gary builds this business, how his mind works. Like he's a very smart guy, but it's also like watch out. Yeah, let's let's talk about Harriet Sansom Harris because she was my favorite scene stealer. She's Barbara Rose in Phantom Thread, but here playing this woman who has the confidence and the ability as an actress to be shot in close up like that 
for her whole scene. This was the moment in the movie besides the truck sequence that got the most laughs in my theater for sure. So when Alana wants to become an actress, first, I do want to mention with Alana Haim, I know that people are talking about the age difference, and this wouldn't necessarily make it correct, but I had this feeling when I was watching this. I was like, is she 25? Are we sure? Because there is a moment at the beginning where they go on and on. She's like, you shouldn't ask a woman her age. And they talk about her Mm -hmm. being an actress or you should be an actress. And when we hear her say it, she says, I'm 25. She pauses a little bit. Interesting. And I wonder with the nature of lies and truth in this movie and showmanship and acting, is she 25 or is that a lie she kept up the entire movie? Sophia. Fia cracking a code here that I love. And then also, too, the fact that when she goes in there and she's talking about her age and everything, she has to, even if she can't do it, has to say yes, yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And so I did kind of notice that the second go around. Uh, So shout out to you for that. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I just kind of went on with the film because I don't see the age guy thing as a problem and never have because I don't think of them as a romantic relationship. I mean, there's never a moment where it ever felt not that I had a problem with this film, but like call me by your name has explicit sex scenes that we don't see. But, you know, it is implied that these two characters are having like tons of sex and there is an age gap there. And people are like, oh, my God, he looks like a child or whatever. And I was just like, no, it's it's like a romance. Like it's such a lazy way to dismiss a movie, I think. Uh, And I understand like if you can't get over that. I guess that's fine. But to me, I think it's I don't see that ever as a problem. I mean, I don't want to dwell on the age gap stuff. I don't. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to move on to say that that cameo scene is so great because I loved her in Phantom Thread and almost that she didn't do it because of COVID because he had to fly her over from, I believe, London and get her over there. And it was almost a logistical nightmare that they almost didn't have that scene happen but they could have like done like and out right because mm-hmm. they look the same so you know that would have been okay um that's literally what my wife's like oh and out's in there it's like that's not and out but she's so good that when she picks up that telephone and it's just three lines mm-hmm. and it's no, it's how someone can say the word mm-hmm. no and make it so great it's like no no and then bust out gut laughing no <laughs> But then also, too, like, she's no different than any of the male characters that are adults either there because she asks some pretty awful questions and says some pretty upfront things in that for shock value. I think Mm -hmm. they are shocking and like, oh, my God, how are you asking a question? And it goes back to, like, our sensibilities. And now how are you asking that question? It's like, well, that makes sense, though, also, too, why she would ask those questions, because there was no filters back then. And she delivers it perfectly the way she smokes cigarettes perfect in that just everything about that scene Mm -hmm. is great because then it leads to more immaturity right i love how there's almost like a a tennis match going on between the answers that alana's giving Mm -hmm. her and the responses on gary's face it's almost these two people that are trying to control this young woman at this time when the nudity question comes up and he goes He's just like shaking his head no, and that's what drives him over the line. That's And you will lose out on pictures if you do not perform nudity. <laughs> it's so good. And that's I think when the movie really clicks, mm-hmm. really clicks. Because at that moment, you're like, where is this going? They're doing a lot of these different things. And then that's the moment I was like, okay, 
I'm really on this movie's wavelength yeah. and what it's trying to do. It's so good. And I do also love the little tiny thing he adds in there after the series of no's when she just says love to Tatum. Because in 1973, Paper Moon comes out. Tatum O'Neill mm-hmm. wins an Oscar. Another child actor. So you just think of, again, how kids, how young people are so like wrapped up in this dark business. This is where one of my favorite lines comes in is when she goes, you're a pit bull dog with sex appeal and a very Jewish nose. <laughs> you remind me of a dog. <laughs> <laughs> when she says, in Krav Maga? When she, when she says that she could do Krav Maga? What's, what's yeah. quick drama Maga? <laughs> oh my God, it's so good. That one and then uh, in Latin and her face, mm-hmm. when she like stares up goes, Latin? <laughs> you know, in Portuguese. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Now we're back on track. You know, it's like Fantastico. Throughout the conversation. Muy bien. It's just great it's stuff. It's funny, too, because God, then afterwards, so like after that nudity question, when they're in the car and Gary's just like, there's too much nudity in pictures nowadays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, just wait 50 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just wait till we're here and they hold deep water. <laughs> too much nudity in pictures. And then like when he's looking at the the newspaper later in the film he's like actively looking at like deep throat mm-hmm. and all the dirty films that are coming out and he's kind of like looking around almost like she's looking at the news and he's looking at the dirty films mm-hmm. that are about to come out like such a 15 year old boy way of thinking of life so it's it's a very selfish response but it's hysterical well not way. again right gary as a character like in the 70s and even still today honestly but even more so back then like his idea of what men should be and who mm-hmm. women are is all informed mm-hmm. by these cultural cues movies ads yes. in the newspaper playboy magazines that are around it's such a different view of women and i think that like pta does such a good job here of like showing how that could creep into his mind but also keeping and holding that line there let's then go to the Sean Penn, Tom Waits scene. What did you think of these guys here in their performances, this scene as a whole? We're at Tale of the Cock. Great name. What a name for a restaurant. My it's like God. Reynolds Woodcock a little um, bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nick? Sean as Jack might be one of the most chaotic characters I've ever seen in film. This is just so much coming, you know, with his pretty aged look. His, like sparkling white teeth he seems like he's coked up riding a motorcycle in a golf course and i didn't know this was tom waits but he had so much personality and vigor Um, i really loved him here i don't really know that much about jack holden do you guys i've seen some of his movies but as a person you know and as pta is adding these characters to this movie he spoke to john peters about the character and he kind of changed him as He told him details of what he would or wouldn't do in this script. But I'm curious about Jack Holden, if that's, you know, who he was, if this is an embellishment of what he would have done. You're talking a lot about this age gap and, you know, from Gary to Alana and Alana to these older men. I think that's an interesting comparison as well as who has the power, who has the upper hand and how these generations deal with this time and each other differently. Yeah. I think one thing that is really cool here is that, you know, Jack Holden, of course, is based on William Holden, who has two very famous age gaps in movies, him and Faye Dunaway in Network, 
but where we have an older woman and a very young man is Sunset Boulevard, where he's with Gloria Swanson. When PTA does things mm. like that and you just kind of start to peel back the layers and you're like, what is he trying to say here? But yeah, I think Jack Holden, William Holden, I don't know, you know, exactly like what was embellished. I do know like later on in his life, he was similar to this. Like he drank a lot. He had a reputation. He was still known as a great actor, but very, I think, similar here. But I think what he shows with this character is just how, again, being involved in this business, like in show business, how much it lets men get away with. And they can just like fight with spoons in a restaurant and it's hilarious, but then just go outside and cause all this destruction with no consequences. The only person really hurt from falling off the motorcycle who's left alone besides Gary is Alana when they go outside and that sequence is just phenomenal. Like great filmmaking. Mm -hmm. I love the editing in the scene in Tale of the Cock between the two of them because defining their relationship is kind of pointless to me. To me, it's just what the other people in their lives besides the two of them mean to the other person. I think that's a more interesting conversation. I agree with everything Sophia said. It almost feels like a William Holden, Jack Holden, however you want to see him as a placeholder for all men of the era. Because then you could really say it's like a little bit of Steve McQueen in there, too, and various other actors that sort of drink a lot and think that being with younger women are okay. And almost like it's a little bit even a play on some of the ideas of like even in Boogie Nights, where like a lot of the older men in that film are with a lot of younger women and stuff. And I think what's so great about that sequence isn't even anything that has to do with with Tom Waits and Sean Penn it's the conclusion of that whole thing it's how they get all drunk and they go back inside and those people are irrelevant because he'll find another girl he'll find another rainbow another grace tomorrow and that's terrible Mm -hmm. in that idea but that what is left is Alana and Gary and my favorite needle drop of the movie is when the Paul McCartney wing song uh, let me roll it starts playing because if you listen to those lyrics it's so purposeful for where the scene then goes next it's all about an unobtainable relationship that one can have and Gary's about to do something that's just as bad as everything that Holden has done up to that point that every man and he hesitates and realizes no that's you know she's not conscious at that time because she's drunk on martinis it's that hope of maybe Gary isn't going to be as bad because even though he thinks about it doesn't act on it and it's like you know what we're just gonna lay here and it's just gonna be the two of us and maybe it's a finger you know touch or maybe it is a knee touch later but that's that's closest of contact as they ever get and it's really just about not being alone and it's just another example of that and i love also too by the way (laughs) she just leaves Daniel's guitar there, I guess, on the on the golf course. Like second time, I'm like, yeah, she straight up left that broken guitar there. Like you know, but yeah, that's what I think about that whole sequence is just how it goes for those characters rather than the other characters who are fine. But you know, yeah, we will definitely talk about that needle drop. That is the one where I think when I initially saw this movie, I felt like I was just like levitating out of my seat. It was like pure movie magic. Oh my god! Yeah, cinema at its finest. Are we ready for Bradley Cooper? Is it time? Here we go. 
It's what everybody wanted to hear anyway. This is this is. The I am the poet laureate on Bradley Cooper. This is the star. Sophia, this is only right that you go first. I yeah. mean, that you have to go first with this. The clock starts right. now. The Bradley Cooper that I fell in love with or lust with or infatuation with is that, you know, when I was growing up and I saw him in The Hangover or I saw him in Wedding Crashers, there was some like sick, cursed part of my mind that was like, I know what he is doing is not good, but there was something there that was like so wrong for me that I just needed to know more. I was so intrigued. And, you know, we've had strong performances from him, namely A Star is Born in 2018, of course. Like I talk about this movie all the time, but he's kind of been stuck. I feel like directors don't really know what to do with him. Like Clint Eastwood putting him in American Sniper, like no thanks, Even David O. Russell with American Hustle and Silver Linings Playbook, he always felt secondary to everyone else to me in those movies. He never, like, shined as bright as Jennifer Lawrence or Robert De Niro or the fake plastic baby doll in American Sniper. Like, it was always (laughs) just, it wasn't right. And I, I needed it to be right again. And here I felt like, okay, here is someone who understands the beauty and the power of Bradley Cooper and who he is as an actor and what he can tap into. Because here is John Peters, again, the commentary with the casting. John Peters was a producer on the 2018 version of A Star is Born. He's directly connected with the 1976 version of A Star is Born with his girlfriend, Barbara Streisand. <laughs> he <laughs> he knows. Barbara Streisand? Sands like the ocean. Barbara Streisand. <laughs> Are you, are you fucking with me? Are you fucking with me right now? Like, God, another great line. The energy that he brings to it, it's just, it's perfect for that scene. He, when he's flirting with Alana in the truck, I was like, okay, this is again, we have vintage Cooper here. He's just unhinged and you have to let Bradley Cooper be unhinged. I feel like he can, I think, be like vanilla if you let him, but... If you let him just kind of fly and kind of go off the handle a little bit, that's when you get the best Bradley Cooper. And that's what we got here. I do think it is the best performance of his career, even though it is incredibly short. I think that, you know, A Star is Born, yes, he's amazing in that movie. I think people like to talk about it now because he lost the Oscar. But this is pure Cooper gold. And I loved every second of it. There's no gasso in the goddamn car, oh, Steve-o. <laughs> I, I love him in this movie. I think he's so good um, because it's that other gear, no pun intended with the car, of just where this movie can go. He is menacing. He is a prisoner of of the moment, and he is a master manipulator because his number one vice is tail, you know, as he describes, and he is... It's going to kill me one day. He's going to kill me one day, I swear. But, like, the minute he's having a conversation, he's looking at Alana the mm-hmm. entire time. He, It's the predatization. He's a predator in this, in the sense of he's... She can back that car perfectly fine by herself, but it's that, that idea of he has to dominate in that moment. He has to smell her. has to put his face so close to hers, it's almost like they're about to kiss. It's shocking how hostile angry he is how god i believe peters showed him this movie and evidently peters hasn't said anything so he probably really liked it which says a lot about john peters but my favorite two favorite things about this is they're driving away and he starts 
walking up that hill and I died laughing because it's nothing he says. It's the aggression of how he is walking up that hill with the sweat in that all white suit, you know, just outfit and everything. And I was like, oh, my God, Bradley Cooper is back. The Bradley Cooper that I love is back because watching Nightmare Alley, I'm like, all right, thank you for the sleeping pill, Guillermo del Toro. And this is like my kind of speed for him. And then, of course, what's so great about all these sequences is that it leads to a moment where Alana is realizing how terrible her situation is, like with the agent, with Holden, and now this with Peters is they have parked the car, they're getting the gas, and from afar she is watching these boys, these 15 year boys basically like, Use gas cans as the most immature way possible. You can possibly ever do it. And she's sitting there regretting that. But then, of course, she sees Peters come out of the corner of her eye. And he's, like, pissed that they left him there. Pissed that he still has no gas in the car. And then these two older tennis ladies (laughs) just come from their session. And and this is a real-life pickup line this was his pickup line that he used and hearing it the second time i went how did that work is hey do you girls like peanut butter sandwiches and i thought at first that's an ingenious line and then i was like my god that is impressively smooth um like i don't know how you're able to get all that kind of tail with do you like peanut butter sandwiches but it's also like the most innocent line you could say to do the most dirty thing possible to somebody which is you know kind of sneak up on them and try to score them on the street or whatever poor barbara streisand probably watching this movie too um (laughs) thinking about that part of her life but um this is one of the funniest performances i've ever seen in a paul thomas anderson movie might be one of the funniest performances i've seen in the last 15 20 years he's so good in this movie but he's also so Mm -hmm. evil and that's that level of like you got to have good funny and charismatic and evil bradley cooper and this is right here at the top Mm -hmm. of the graph so yeah it's i couldn't imagine anybody else doing it it's perfect casting this is that philip seymour hoffman range with the grit of bradley cooper and i love that he lets him go the whole 10 yards here my my one line is be coop asshole that's my (laughs) note from the movie (laughs) And Ryan, you mentioned this, but it's his body language that I love the most. You know, him, he's like hulking his way up the driveway and the way he walks as Alana's trying to shield herself from him seeing her on the sidewalk, the way he just throws a trash can through a window. <laughs> so good. I lost it. The way he gets the, the gas can and you got the lighter. And he's like gonna light this guy on fire with gasoline at the station yeah. to get his gas. Like it's, <laughs> it's so chaotic. Like I wanted more. I wanted him to be in this movie more. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of upset that once he leaves at, with those two women, that's the last we see of him. You know, we get the shot of him. I don't even know what he has in, in his hand, but it's the credits. Like it's those things that you clean your car with there at a gas station. Okay, yeah, like it was squeegee. like knives or swords. <laughs> yeah, it's like a squeegee. Yeah, <laughs> like we get that in the credits, but like I wanted that scene. That's all Sean Penn's fault. Damn Sean Penn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> son of a bitch. 
So yeah, it's a great performance. We can talk about Oscar potential here and like winning, but we knew this was going to be rough for you, Sophia. I know we did know that. I also <laughs> just really love when he like revs himself up how he's walking. It almost looks like he's some kind of like machine or like a car himself as he's like shaking the gas can as he's like walking mm-hmm. over to try to get it from that guy. Oh my God, it's so good. I really do just like love him in this movie. And it again, it adds to the thing like you see like Alana, she has this like dreamy eyed look at him and sickly, I understood it. I was like, yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of the same look she has at Skylar Gizmodo earlier Mm -hmm. in the the film is right. Mm -hmm. It's a look she never really has at Gary. (sighs) But yeah, I love Bradley Cooper. I thought he was perfectly cast here. Well, they didn't know that he was in the movie until like his first scene where he came running in in front of that house, um, the driveway scene. So I love seeing her when they cut to her in the truck and she's just like awe stricken and mm-hmm. her eyes are like, whoa, that's him. Like that was probably a first take reaction of like, holy crap, that's Bradley Cooper. And uh-huh. he's like blowing me away. And, you know, it doubles as her giving this romanticized look there's something new here that i haven't felt and like what is this should i explore this it's interesting because jack holden never meets gary directly like the the scene with bradley cooper they're all three of them like in that truck they're all in the same area so it's more about like how she feels about other men about emotionally unavailable men and how emotionally stunted like she is right we see that there I think more clearly so I think with each male cameo or like supporting performance that we get it shines a light further on Alana as a character and on her development and the way that she interacts with these different types of men that she comes into contact with and how Gary is so different one because you know Gary hasn't turned into one of these guys yet And it is, I think, to her, all about attention, which is just, it's really sad. It it makes it, again, it has this, like, air of sadness to it. After John Peters, Bradley Cooper, we get Benny Safdie, who plays Joel Wax, this politician. He's a city councilman who's running, and he's based also on a real person. And I think here we see, like, Alana's need for great attention from a man in power, Like, she loves not only what he tells her about herself, how she's valuable, but it gives her more clout, right? She's no longer in the waterbed business. She's a politician. I love that delivery. So good. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, what did you guys think of Benny Safdie here and of this scene as kind of the final big moment, I guess, in the movie for Alana before we head into the end? I thought this was the most tragic part of the film, and that's where the movie then turns back for most of the time the film is teetering between being very sad and being very joyful and i think this second or this last stitch effort before the the final bit of the film i think it is really sad because it, it almost feels like the last chance she has at being able to grow up and she's calling an old friend of hers from school and she's trying to like most of us in our late twenties try to become more politically activated and try to uh, think that, and all you want to talk about is Pepsi and I'm trying to save the world. Basically mm-hmm. is what she tells Danielle and, and you're talking about free Pepsi. And then there's the, the whole argument she has with Gary 
where it, once again it seems like this has been bubbling to this point of where she's like you're a child and he's like you're old and she's pissed at that idea um and she just basically tells him off and then she realizes wait i shouldn't do that because like you know then my fallback plan if this doesn't work out which is gary because it's always gary will be gone and then there's but she sort of ingrains herself so much to the point where this is the only time where somebody doesn't want something from her necessarily they don't want to over sexualize her they just see her talent and then she is kind of blindsided that that safety wants to have dinner with her because she almost seems like she's just trying to have it does it feels like she might be having an actual chance at a relationship with that friend of hers that they sort of built an actual because they're the same age and similar interests and everything it feels more organic but then safety comes in and then you get that dinner scene at the restaurant which it was kind of shocking to me i was like didn't see it coming but then also knowing what that commentary is saying which it is a an absolute commentary in my opinion of about harvey milk and uh and what happened to harvey milk and why she is brought there so that she can basically save a life and she doesn't know what she's gotten herself into and then there is that when she walks matthew home and you really get to see this person's heart in that moment she's not in of course that era and still even today so many people are not as kind and warm to people in the lgbtq community as we would like them to be and in that moment of pure shock or she could be very immature at that moment or she could be very like why am i being used again she really uses her heart to sort of help this person who's really hurt and they connect and have this bonding moment that I think is beautiful. And it really makes her realize that I'm not a politician. I'm not, I'm really not even supposed to be 25. It may be. I'm this girl who was lost. And the only person that can make me happy, even if it's for only a couple of minutes until he does something really immature or really stupid is to be with this, this 15 year old, idiot and that's why she goes and runs and tries to find him and i think it's beautiful and i think it's some i think it is benny safty's best acting work of his career because it's it's almost not like hey this is benny safty it almost feels like this is actually this person it's really sad stuff sorry now i'm getting emotional with it because it, it did it did get me in the second time i felt really sad at the end and i and i shed a tear for those characters because it's like because I know what happens in real life. And maybe that's, and that's the, the beauty of like Paul Thomas Anderson in that moment. It's like, he doesn't actually just go and full out say, well, this is Harvey milk. You know, we're just going to have a Harvey milk situation here. You know, it's, it's, it's more within his world and his characters and maybe, or maybe not, there's going to be something, but there's that ability to save somebody because they know that something might tragically be happening in that moment. Uh, so that's the only glimpse of like, revisionist history you ever get and it's done in a very subtle way that i don't think most audiences would able to figure that out partly funny that we're using this scene to again talk about alana heim's Mm -hmm. performance (laughs) always but i liked him here you know he as a male in alana's life is allowing her to become someone different um she becomes a bit more fearless in this moment when she's in the office and she's going to 
tell off the rando who comes in and is kind of watching them for a while. And she runs up to him and says, what are you doing? Why are you looking at us? I think that's a great moment for her. But I think stepping off of what you had said, Ryan, is just that I think Joel is one of the most complicated characters we have in this movie, male ones in particular. And it's interesting that she does kind of run to him at the restaurant as if he were into her. And it just totally flips. Like how speechless she is, right? But it's really everything you've said, Ryan. You know, it's like she's being used. She goes and she helps him regardless. And that's kind of where she has her moment of realizing that she wants to be with Gary and she goes to him and her kiss getting cut short at the office, you know, it was like, should she have been with the assistant? Would that have been better? It's interesting how this character fits into her story and how it changes the scene that we're in. Cause it does get really, really sad once he's there. And once you see the two men talking at the dinner table, she doesn't even get her martini. She's, whisked away before it comes vodka gin Um, vodka gin (laughs) yes (laughs) he is great he's just a small performance there's nothing bad about it though how did you feel sophia i think what is just flawless about this scene is the clear homage to taxi driver i mean people compare Mm. Scorsese and PTA all the time, but that guy standing outside of the political office, you know, it makes you compare Alana to Sybil Shepard. You think about this sense of doom that is hanging over the movie a little bit. I, when I saw him, I thought something bad was going to happen to someone there, but I love how Alana kind of has the gumption to go confront him herself. I do think the scene, like you guys said, is profoundly sad and What I like about it is that, you know, Nick, you mentioned like, yes, she should absolutely be with that guy at the campaign office. Mm -hmm. He is cute and emotionally available. Like, of course. And we got a question from the futurist on Twitter. Why do you think that Alana, knowing that Brad, Brad is the guy at the campaign office who hires her, is interested in her and seems honest, mature and cares for her, unlike the other men she encountered in the film, would resort to running to Gary, who is immature when she feels crestfallen over her choices. I think it's because this is a movie about someone who is still emotionally stunted. This, to me, is not a coming-of-age story. This is a story about two people who do not grow. Like, they, they, we do not get, like, growth by the end of, oh, they can see their power individually, or, like, they're going to, like, become something different, maybe. It's about a relationship that's important to these people individually, but it's not a movie about growth. Like, we don't really have any proof of growth here. They keep making the same types of decisions, Gary and Alana, over and over again. And you know how I called it this episodic journey of infatuation? Like, infatuation isn't love. It's not a romance. It's not even this, like, pure, harmless friendship. It's this pull that brings them together. And when they run into each other... And they crash into each other in that beautiful shot in front of the movie theater of Live and Let Die. It almost looks like a magnet pulling them together like too quickly and in a way that doesn't make sense. Like they're not gently running up to each other. It's a it's a strong force that mm. can't keep them apart. Yeah. But it also isn't one of like growth and development either. I mean, with all that growth and maturity and everything, just live and let die, right? I'm just kidding. That's, that's, that's a terrible thing. That's stupid. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then, of course, 
go right over to the the pinball place and he's like miss a lot of valentine you know like, and even you as an audience do the exact thing that she did where come on like come on you idiot mm-hmm. like you just got her like you got what you wanted and you still are gonna screw it up and that's the thing is it shows that he's not gonna change he's gonna probably screw it up mm-hmm. or she's probably gonna get annoyed with it in about five seconds and then he kisses her and then i think that there's the ambiguity shot at the end and then you're kind of sat there going oh man these guys are in real trouble like, mm-hmm. like i sat there i was like man these guys are gonna be in a it's almost like just watching a rerun of a show and you're just like you know how this is gonna end like you in your mind you may have written this better but it's it's gonna keep happening because as it keeps happening in the film, it's more and more painful on her part. You know what I mean? You hope that it doesn't cause her more and more pain. I really love Alana Heim's interpretation of the ending. I don't know if you guys have seen this. She said that, and this is why I'm just like so perplexed by people who have a problem with the ending or who think they like end up together and it's some relationship because like immediately after this, because they're running, she like falls and skins her knees and she's like, oh, Gary. And they don't talk again for weeks. which i love but i do think like that i love how in the final shot of the movie he's not really in the frame it is a story about her like this is again after phantom thread like a a story about a woman kind of figuring out relationships and figuring out who she is but it's like this again this like kind of dreamlike thing but i think she kind of is at a place of a little bit of acceptance with herself and where she is happy to have this attention yet again so I, I like the ending, and I think they have to be running in the ending. It only is right. <sighs> I'm going to be thinking about it forever, just like I'm going to be thinking about Phantom Thread's ending, and There Will Be Bloods, and The Masters. His movies like at the end of the, always have good endings. Uh, they have a great. They always have great final shots, because mm-hmm. you're just sitting there. Mm-hmm. You don't want to get up. No. It gets like, the first time I sat there, I sat through most of the credits. Yesterday, when we, I saw it again, my wife was like, I was like, you ready to go? And she's like, no, I'm not ready to go. I got to sit with this thing. And that's just the beauty of him. Mm -hmm. Did you guys have a favorite shot in the movie or maybe a few that you really loved? I think of them walking together off the golf course. Oh, man. There's so many. I mean, it's it's just an embarrassment of riches when you have a Paul Thomas Harrison movie. Mm -hmm. I do think of the shot of the truck, which is spoiler alert my favorite scene Mm -hmm. so we can just get that out of the way like that tense thing it's just it's hysterical and tense all wrapped in one it's the perfect sort of uh allegory for this slow moving truck down a highway of this Mm -hmm. relationship it's freaking great of them just like of them stalled in the middle of the street almost like it was like taken out of magnolia or taken right out of of boogie nights right and then the shot of Cooper Hoffman just like celebrating in her just demoralized face, you know? So that's pretty good stuff. Yeah. Nick, what about you? It's tough because there are so many shots that are stuck in my head. You know, it's the close up of Harriet during their interview and also the editing. You know, I think that's a key component to a lot of his movies. And here it sticks out too. partly when they're running in the end, you know, they're running towards each other. I liked those edits and those shots. Mm-hmm. Take a note, Spencer. That made me cry. Oh, my God. (laughs) Ryan, we can't do this. (laughs) Also, the shot of Bradley Cooper holding up the lighter in front of that guy's Mm -hmm. face. 
the shot from inside their room when the water's leaking out of the waterbed and they run away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's little moments that kind of add up, and that's what I like about that. Can I say one more mm-hmm. just real quick? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. of Alana and Danielle sitting there smoking pot mm-hmm. there at the baseball field. Just like the way the natural light is shot outside, mm-hmm. and how how Danielle is in the you know sort of in the backdrop mm-hmm. there of the shot. And uh, it's all centered on Alana, and she just keeps repeating that line that's in the trailer. Like, I think it's weird that I hang out with Gary and his 15-year-old friends. And she just, and I love her line back of, it's whatever you want it to be, mm-hmm. you know? And it's your life. Like, we're not going to, I'm not going to judge you. And that's what's kind of beautiful about Danielle in the film is like, Estee's the judgmental one, it seems like. Um, You're but such Danielle's a thinker. Like, You're always thinking things, you thinker. Yeah, thinking things. <laughs> <laughs> you thinker. Because um, who with a sibling or a really close relative or whatever has never done that scene mm-hmm. right in that kitchen and then had Essie's reaction of like oh yeah you do bring mm-hmm. home a lot of guys like that and <laughs> stuff like that but yeah it's like Daniel's the only one that like truly supports her it seems like so that seems always a comfort place for her at that moment yeah I have a couple favorite shots that just like took my breath away when I was watching the movie one is when Tom Waits kind of emerges from the smoke in Tale of oh. the Cock just like Oh, so, so beautiful. Love the light there. I also love the way that PTA plays with the lens flares in the movie, especially like right when Gary and Alana kiss, there's one, we get a lens flare. It's like, you feel that like memory thing again, where it's like, are they close to heaven here? Is this like some other layer? Or is it like, you know, Icarus flying too close to the sun, you know, it's going to burn you. So I love that here. I also really love the shot of them on the waterbed with their hands touching. It's in the trailer. It almost to me, it reminded me of like an ultrasound photo, like almost the way it's lit, which was very cool. Oh, so there are so many shots of this movie. I love when Alana is about to leave the campaign office and go meet Joel Wax and she's just completely dark and we just see the yellow behind her. Mm-hmm. Really love that one too. Just phenomenal photography. Again, PTA is his own DP. All right. And then favorite needle drops. This movie has a fantastic soundtrack. Love it. We do have a pretty light score from Johnny Greenwood here, which blends seamlessly um, into the era and into these songs. But I know, Ryan, you mentioned Let Me Roll It. That's also my favorite needle drop. But there are plenty of good ones here. Nick, did you have a favorite one? Re-listening to the soundtrack, these songs just feel like this movie at this point now. But Life on Mars, which was in the trailer, and then Accentuate the Positive is just a fun (laughs) one. I really love Life on Mars, too, because I love that scene of Gary running through, you know, all of these parked cars that don't have gas or cars that are waiting. And he's just running with his arms stretched out like it's the end of the world. I love that. I love the lyrics of that song, too, how they come back. Take a look at the lawman beating up the wrong guy. Gary earlier in the movie, obviously happy to have David Bowie in anything. I didn't even think of that. That's great. (laughs) He's so smart. Like, it's it's everywhere, I know. PTA would definitely tell me I'm thinking too hard about the movie, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I love the ending one, the Tomorrow May Not Be Your Day, that's played over mm-hmm. the end credits. Love mm-hmm. all of the music choices here. There's one, it's very briefly, but he uses Gordon Lightfoot's If You Could Read My Mind. And it's really right after when Alana finds out about Gary being Mr. Handy. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll say about that. And, <laughs> like... 
so on the nose kind of a little bit, but also like great song of like, if you could read my rind, how pissed off I am at you right now. Like having to trust you as a business partner and as a human being, like it's just Gary sitting there just, you know, all that. But also too, like, I know it's not a needle drop, but in it, I guess it's kind of like best scene or sequence, but also too like the reenactment song from the movie that he's in with the fake Lucille ball. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, which, <laughs> oh that sequence when she just beats the shit out of him back in the back and like how dare you all end your career blah, 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 and all this other stuff and alana going is she always like that and skylar gets was like yeah kind of you know, she's always kind of yeah. like that it's great well in that scene too i also we can just use this to transition into best scene or favorite scene I really like that one because Gary is wearing the Reynolds Woodcock sickness pajamas like they're the same pajamas. Also, the real life Gary Getzman is in that scene. He plays Jerry Best. So another fun little tidbit there. There you go. But yeah, I think that's very fun. And I think too, like Alana being the chaperone, like that's (laughs) such a great comedic choice, Mm -hmm. but also an indicator of their relationship. I'm a chaperone. (laughs) I'm a a, a chaperone. (laughs) Like when she said that and everyone's like, we don't give a shit. Yeah, you know like, I, mean? I don't care. So. <laughs> but it is kind of her entree into that world, which I really like. Um, so I think that that scene works really, really well. Like you said, Ryan, it has to be the the truck scene, the driving backwards down the hill, which is also for my next thing, the PTA Easter egg, because this happens in Boogie Nights too, when he can't start the car and he's like running, jumping into the car. So whatever... PTA has with stalled cars running down hills. Um, I love that. <laughs> that scene is just so good. Like it is like the most thrilling thing I've seen in a movie mm-hmm. this year. It's just expert comedic timing. The editing is just phenomenal. Like when we get the shots of those boys in the back and they're like, "Are we okay? Like, are we good? Are we about to? Are we about to die? Like, <laughs> like what They're the hell's going on. on out there?" <laughs> Alana driving that car, like learning how to drive a '70s stick shift U-Haul. I love her improv with Bradley Cooper because she was so nervous. Like everything that she answered is true to herself, mm-hmm. and PTA just kept that in there. Like, yes, she's a Sagittarius. Her birthday is December fifteenth. She was twenty-eight at the time of filming. God, I swear to God, you just know in cinema or in life when a man asks you what your sign is that that is a sign of the apocalypse at that point for that human being. Like, I swear to God, that is. Please, collective audience, don't do that. Don't be that person. Because when he said that, I was like, oh, fucking course he did. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, God. I don't know anyone that finds that attractive. I'm sorry. I just uh, maybe 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 I'm speaking out of turn. Or no, it's but. it's bad. It it really is a bad sign. <laughs> I would love for Bradley Cooper to ask me that. But yeah, I just I love that scene and I love how it ends. Alana sitting on that curb after she has just like conquered the world and she's <laughs> just like, my youth is over. Like that's the look I get on her face. Like. All, every exciting like young person thing I had in my life, like I'm not a kid anymore. Mm-hmm. I got to move on. I have that look at least once a week. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think too. Before we move into Oscars, like, what are you guys still thinking about from this movie? Um, I guess I just wonder what the hell he's gonna do next. The next film is his tenth, which is weird because then Tarantino's next is his tenth. Um, and so I kind of find that interesting that like two very important directors of our time from that on that era they have their 10th film next and 
I don't know where he goes next. I don't know what he wants to do next. I, I, I sit there and I finish this film and I go, what are you going to do next? Because you brilliant bastard keep bringing out these masterpieces and it's driving me insane. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I think I'm, what I'm so impressed with is that I think that he has said that this is actually like a very simple and sincere film. And yet I don't, I think he's lying to us. Like his characters are lying to us because he, has lied to us in the past for many, many occasions because I, I think in a lot of ways he's like Altman where he just like, I put it out there, you guys figure it out yourselves. I know the answers. I'm not giving you the answers. You know, he's not like Darren Aronofsky where it's like, oh, well, this is what Mother is. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I think that this made me really reinvigorate the fact that like he can work with so many unknowns and put together this great work and that he is, he's the best director working today period and for the love of god i want his next movie actually to be that week or afternoon he spent with denzel washington that they had in that clip that he talked about Mm -hmm. recently uh because i would love to know how that went it looked like it went really well and holy hell if that is the if that is the next thing a paul thomas anderson movie with denzel washington i think we might just break the internet in the world (laughs) because It's arguably the greatest living actor on the planet, uh, male actor. I mean, you can argue because, well, that it's working because Daniel Day-Lewis is retired. Um, I still have and, hope. I want him to come back. Yes. Oh, he'll come back. Imagine like Denzel Washington versus Daniel Day-Lewis in a Paul Thomas Anderson vehicle. Man, to throw up. <laughs> it's like too much to think about. <laughs> also starring Olivia Coleman. Uh, anyway, um... I always just, when I'm done with the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, I sit there and I marvel at that it even got made. And then I go, what is he going to do next? Because it's going to, it almost seems like a virtual, a virtually impossible task for him to top himself. And he always does. And I think that that's where he still surprises me. So, and also too, if every, everyone wants to cancel this movie and get rid of it, then it'll be my movie and I don't give a shit. So, um, because, (laughs) that's just all silly talk he made another great movie guys i don't know what to tell you yeah i mean if i looked at movies to be my moral compass i would have poisoned a man with mushrooms by now so um yeah fair i would probably be dead (laughs) (laughs) fair i don't know how you follow that line nick but okay i know i feel like he's just constantly reinventing cinema in a way and like you ryan it's like what is he gonna do next it's to the point now where you can't even guess. You know, you have to get it and see. And that's why I'm curious is a lot of his films have become more slice of life to me where the setting holds the priority over the characters. Not in a bad way. But if he ends up joining these two aspects, which I feel like a lot of his movies are from the first and second of his generations, I'll like it if it's new, if it's like his old stuff. You know, it's like we've been talking about for the past few hours. <laughs> Um, We like what he puts out and there's nothing he can do wrong and he'll surprise us every time. So that is what I'm most looking forward to. And what does it all mean? I don't know. That was, you know, he started that in Magnolia and I love that he's (laughs) constantly answering this question in very new ways. I'm excited to see like what my relationship with this movie is like in a few years, actually, because like Phantom Thread, like 
my love for that movie grows stronger as time passes, as I can think about it more, as I can revisit it. And I'm curious, like, where this movie will be and how I'll continue to think of it. I'm curious also, like, how it will evolve in the culture and, like, the reception to it. You know, again, when Phantom Thread came out, people called it propaganda for toxic masculinity, and now it's the most popular movie on Twitter. It's like, what is it going to be? So I am curious to how people will continue to respond to it and where people, you know, put it in PTA's filmography. But I think, yeah, my favorite thing about him as a director is the characters that he creates. So I'm excited to see how I continue to think of them and try to piece together what it all means. And that could change for me over time. And I think that's exciting. And we don't get a lot of filmmakers who make me think that way anymore. So I think apart from how we feel about it, how do we think the Academy is going to feel about this movie and accept it? First off, below the line, do we feel like there's potential here? I mentioned the cinematography and the editing a little bit, but how do you two feel? Because in a lot of his previous movies... Has he even been nominated in Below the Line? Maybe once or twice. Well, Mark Bridges won costume design for Phantom Thread, but other than that, like, not really. Cinematography for There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. Like, cinematography um, and editing, I still think of, like, big ones. Like, yes, they're craft, but, like, those are those mm-hmm. are really big ones. It would be interesting to see him get into cinematography because he didn't for Phantom Thread, but this is more of a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that'll happen. Editing is a hard one to crack. Production design and possibly costumes because Mark Bridges is a previous winner. That could be on the table, mm-hmm. but I I doubt it. And it didn't make the makeup shortlist. So that era would make up in hairstyling. So that wouldn't work or sound or any of that. So mm-hmm. and, or Greenwood score, which was very minimal. And it's not like they were pushing mm-hmm. that at all. So, I mean, maybe one or two below the line and that's kind of it is how i see it yeah i think there will be blood got nominated for sound editing editing and art direction so that was like a big one yeah i don't really see this like hitting below the line i think that when we look at cinematography and when we look at editing cinematography i feel like if phantom thread didn't get in this one won't i feel like that movie is like his beautiful like stunning movie this one i mean it's so well shot but i think they're still gonna think of him as a director, not as the DP. I really hope it makes it into editing. I think that's going to be a really, if it gets into editing, that's a strong showing for a picture and like how the Academy is receiving it. Andy Jurgensen, the editor, did phenomenal work here. This movie is seamless. It flows perfectly. I love the editing. It's one of my favorite components of the movie, but I don't know. I'm, I'm worried, I guess, that it's going to, the editing spots will be taken up by, we have Dune, with sound we have belfast with sound we have power of the dog with sound we have west side story with sound like we have a lot of movies that are best picture contenders that also showed up on that sound shortlist so maybe this could take the other spot i wouldn't be that surprised it has been showing up places especially with critics groups it did get into editing for critics choice so i don't know let's talk about the performances pta is kind of known for getting his performers oscar nominations i think like they come out of nowhere even though he wasn't nominated for director or screenplay for the master we had three actors from that nominated like it just it does happen so i think we do have to keep an eye on that 
Don't even get me started on I that. I know. I know. It's just absurd. <laughs> I Yeah. Stupid. I have no idea Stupid. what happened there. I think let's start with Alana Heim. I think our biggest contender here. Z Shelton asked us a question. Does Alana have a chance in Best Actress? Please say yes. <laughs> what do you guys think? She does have a chance to get in. I mean, the lineup, I believe, I don't know how long the stat goes back, but we tend to always have someone that in actor and actress that have not been nominated before. And there's usually a breakthrough performance. I mean, like Andrew Day is the the perfect example. Like she was not a previous nominee last year. And so I can see her getting in. I also think that Rachel Zegler is another person that is um, a newcomer, first a first time nominee possibility as well. Because a lot of the, the lineups you see are Coleman, Stewart, who is also a potential first-time nominee, Chastain, uh, Gaga, <laughs> and uh, who else am I missing? There's Oh, Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. Um, see? I'm already forgetting that movie. Um, and then there's Jennifer Hudson, who, I mean, come on. We're really hanging on to threads there for that thing. So there's there's some vulnerability with a lot of those films. Like, what if Isa Tammy Faye is not what we think it's going to be? Or what if The Lost Daughter is not Academy-friendly? Because it is a very uh, niche film, I think. You know, then what if House of Gucci underperforms? What if they're a big fan of West Side Story, but not a big fan of Zegler? You know, Spencer is love is falling as each day we live on this planet. So there is a potential for her to get in. She also is getting tons of critics group prizes she's not she was nominated for critics choice Mm -hmm. right she was nominated for golden globe uh she won an award at the um national board of review for newcomer as well along with her co-star cooper hoffman and yes pta though we didn't get (laughs) vicky cripps in there for phantom thread i can't another travesty um i remember the phantom thread train being its costumes in daniel day lewis and that movie overperformed and played spectacularly, and I think if there was more time, that movie could have pulled an upset in some categories. Don't, don't do it to me. I can't. <laughs> and should have been nominated for screenplay as well. It should have won all six of its nominations. <laughs> <laughs> but I, the, the Academy does love Paul Thomas Anderson, and it is a very actor-friendly film, and the, the thing that that movie is doing at a lot of places right now much to the chagrin of a lot of people is it is winning best ensemble. And if it's doing that, that is a, that's a huge sign that people not only like her in it, they like everyone else in that film as well. When you forgot Ryan was Penelope Cruz who could have potential. I know she could. I'm so sorry. I I didn't say that. (laughs) No, I love her in that movie. I just don't want to get my hopes up because I would love her to be nominated. I feel like there are a lot of, on the edges kind of performances especially with actors just like who the heck is going to get in i'm going to err on saying no not that she's bad i think she's incredible it's just there are so many a-listers and i think they're going to err on that side instead this time around i would probably call kristen stewart the first time nominee that's going to get in but why Um, just one yeah, we don't need to have the Russian accent of Gaga and Coleman or whatever she's doing there. You know, we can have, we can have Alana, we can have Rachel. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be great? It would if it was like fresh. Blood, I mean, the thing is too is like know? the the people you named, like their movies are not 
picking up best picture heat anywhere. And if we learned anything mm-hmm. last year from me winning money, changing my prediction to Francis McDormand at the last minute. <laughs> well, you really want to go there. I was predicting her since October. I love but it. Yes, correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, if someone is in a best picture nominee, like that is a good sign. And like licorice pizza really is helps. more well liked than Tammy Faye, the lost daughter being the Ricardos Spencer. Ricardos. It is. That's just the way, the way that it is. So why not Alana and Respect, Rachel? Parallel mothers. Yeah, it's yeah. parallel mothers. I mean, it, it might have a chance. Like it wasn't shortlisted though, because Spain didn't choose it. It is really hard here. I don't know what to do. I'm gonna say yes because power of manifestation and positive thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new year. We're gonna we're gonna push that through. Yes. Meet her back in about six mm-hmm. months, folks. We'll, <laughs> we'll see, see how positive I am. When... <laughs> okay, Bradley Cooper. Uh, I want it so badly. It does feel like the thing the Academy could do, right? Like, they could just be like, I don't care. Like, this is a boring lineup you guys have all been showing us. Yes, Bradley Cooper's not showing up places, but we're going to put him in here. Like, it feels like that could be it if they do really love the movie. But he's not campaigning. I mean, why would he after he lost to that th- that guy? <laughs> So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen here. I hope he gets in. I don't think supporting actors should be co-lead or close to lead. It should be scene stealer. So I'm hopeful. Yeah. He's great. This is, like we said, it's one of his best performances, if not his best performance. He's really one of the best things about the film. It also is like, he's the biggest star in the film, if you want to give it mm-hmm. that, like of the time. And, and, and also the Academy loves him and they've done weird shit like this before where it's like <laughs> Judy Dench um you know so i think it would be a great nomination and yeah i mean if this kicks Jared Leto out then then this would just i mean we just this is like a nobel peace prize for the the oscars <laughs> at that point i mean my my god um so yeah i mean i would i'd love him to get in just cuz i think it is he's one of my favorite supporting acting performances and i agree with you sophia we have to stop doing this whole thing in these categories of using it as the best actor part B or best actress part B. It needs to get back to the basics of that's why I like Mahershala Ali's win in Moonlight is so good because of the fact that it's, he's only in a third of the film, but his presence mm-hmm. is in that film. Mm-hmm. And Bradley Cooper's only in eight minutes, nine minutes, 10 minutes of screen time, maybe, but the presence of that character and other characters are seeped throughout that movie, the vibe of that movie. Um, so yeah, it would be a great nomination. Will it happen? I'm praying. I mean, you know, I only can go to church so many Ugh, times. I know. <laughs> yeah. I think he deserves a nomination. If he campaigned, you know, if he was in it hard enough, I think he could push for a win, but he needs to get past that first hurdle first. He's got to get, He's got to get like SAG or something. Mm-hmm. Or he could be like he could happen. What do you guys think about Cooper Hoffman? Any chance at all? Unfortunately. Yeah. No. I think that actor is so it's so competitive this mm-hmm. year. This is one of the best years for best actors because there are like there are like 12 performances that could get mm-hmm. nominated. And I think he's part of the 12, but he's like definitely like number 12. Yeah. If he got nominated, certain nominations would indicate strength. Like if King Richard pulled a Best Director nomination, that's a sign of strength. Mm-hmm. If Power of the Dog lands 
12, 13 nominations or whatever the heck it would be, like ties a record, that shows strength. If Belfast gets maybe three or four acting nominations, picture director, editing, you know, Van Morrison, you know, sound score, sound score, like all that. Yeah. Yeah. If Dune lands a acting nomination, holy hell, Twitter will lose their minds. Like if Mike Feist happens for West Side Story, like that's a sign of strength. So, yes, if Cooper Hoffman gets in, holy hell, that's a sign of strength. And it could be like the Leslie Manville Mm -hmm. sort of effect there where it's a surprise in the Oscar morning. And boy, how would that be great? And also, too, they loved his father. And so there's that factor in there as well. And plus, he's really damn good in the movie, Mm -hmm. too. So I wouldn't count it out, but I, I don't have him in there right now. I think like Smith, Washington, Cumberbatch. Garfield, and then the fifth spot's always tricky. But I'm going to go with, uh, I go with Dinklage at this mm-hmm. moment, or Leo, which would just would break. Uh, that would break my. Heart. I know. Mm-hmm. Don't. I don't want the looks from both of you. Um, I'm not a fan <laughs> of it either. I'm just saying. It could I would happen. be more okay with Leo than Meryl. Look, I think of the worst things sometimes, and then they don't happen. So then maybe that's, that's the case. Keep you know? doing that. Um, you're speaking yeah. it out of existence. Yeah, you have to. You have to say it out loud, and then the boogeyman doesn't come, mm-hmm. right? So, there you go. Okay, screenplay. So a lot of people, I think, me included, were thinking, like, this is where PTA wins the Oscar. It's screenplay. We got it. Let's do it. Please. What do we think now? I want to speak it into existence. I don't want to get my hopes up, though. And it does kind of feel like, okay, if if I'm thinking of, like, the path to picture... Like, if Belfast wants to win picture, I think it has to win here. Not necessarily. Like, it has happened before where, like, the picture winner doesn't win screenplay. It happened last year with Nomadland. Um, She did win director, of course, so it would be strange. But do you guys think he can win here? Do you think it's the strongest category for the movie to win? I would say it's the strongest, yeah. Or the most probable, just out of everything. I think it's still the talk that Belfast... People are just trying to equate Belfast winning Best Picture with what other categories. And this is where they're saying, like you said, it could win. Ligger's Pizza should win here. Don't get me up. But then if it only wins here, it's going to have a picture nom. And I think director nom. But I don't think that's enough for a picture win. I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. Like I just... it A PTA film will never win Best Picture unless he makes his version of The Departed. <laughs> Like how Scorsese got his win. <laughs> well, this is like his his version of The Departed, right? Because it's like like Martin Scorsese was known for gangster films, and then he's known making pictures in San Fernando Valley, right? That, yeah, that's like there we his, go. Right? It's not winning picture. Yeah, so we can just get rid of that. And it's not winning actress when it if it gets in, if she gets in, or Cooper could win supporting actor if if it's really that strong with the overdue narrative because he's been nominated so many times. But I mean it. They didn't do that for a star is porn. I don't see it happening for this. But that that category is up for grabs, I still think, even though Cody Smith McPhee is like dominated critics awards. Mm-hmm. I mean, critics awards don't mean everything or anything sometimes. It's not winning cinematography, it's not winning editing, it's not winning actor if Hoffman gets in there. If he's in there, he's like five and he's like good for mm-hmm. you, kid. So it really comes down to screenplay and it's where you have do you still have Belfast as your number one? I don't. I don't either. So I don't have it as mm-hmm. my number one. I think Campion's got adapted, and I think she's going to 
to a Chloe Zhao and sweep the directing prizes. So then I think that that shows real strength for that film. Plus, I there is the possibility of a Benedict Cumberbatch upset, and then there's the possibility of Cody Smith with fees still on the table as well. So I see all that. Paul Thomas Anderson's been nominated Wade so many times. He's never won anything, and I I can see it finally happening. Will it though? My God, if this Academy doesn't do it for this, I don't know what they'll do. Uh, this man might go crazy, but I mean, screw it. I think he's going to win it right now, and I have to and I have to keep mm-hmm. the faith. <laughs> so, and wow. he deserves it, and it's a better screenplay than Belfast by Miles, and I really like Belfast. Um, it's not like in my top 20 of the year or anything right now, but it's a movie I really liked and responded with, but I don't think of that movie's screenplay as its draw. I think of it's more of its direction and, and Brana. And I think with PTA, I usually always think of him as a director mm-hmm. first, but I think with this one, the, the writing's so funny and it's so blistering that I think that when I look at the category of what the five boring films uh, or four boring films and uh, Licorice Pizza that'll be nominated most likely because it's going to be like McKay and Sorkin and Brana and ugh, it's just going to be a really bad lineup. Um, and then PTA is there. It's the only one where I go, yeah, that's deserving and it's great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I could see him winning and I hope he does. Yeah. Kenneth Brana really wants an Oscar and like the way that I look at him is <laughs> it's unfair, but I almost see him as like Gilderoy Lockhart kind of going around like glad handing I wrote I wrote about mm-hmm. my childhood. Belfast to me didn't tell me really much about its creator as far as the screenplay goes whereas the screenplay for Licorice Pizza told me everything about its creator even though it's not autobiographical. And I think if the Academy wants to be cool, they will give PTA their Oscar and sometimes they do that. They'll be like, "Ooh, this is the screenplay for right now. This is the person we want to recognize." So it could be PTA. Sorkin's already won. McKay's already won. Like, I really hope that means neither of them have a shot here. Good God. <laughs> Nick's favorite film of the year. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm going to predict it now to be hopeful and say that he can win finally. But I also don't really think he cares. I think director, he's also, I really hope, getting in. I I really can't see them snubbing him for this. I want to give a shout out to past guest on your show, past guest on my show, Matt Neglia, who sort of put this out in the ether that Brana might be the snub and it's starting to feel like that. It's starting to feel like with the love for licorice pizza, power of the dog being so strong, the love for West side story, right? Hamaguchi would drive my car going out re- like really strong in the race. And then <sighs> I'm going to say this. There's like the weird romanticism now, right now with the buzz for don't look up in other pictures as well. We've played this game before with Adam McKay where we're like, is it going to happen or not? And then it does. And we're like, okay, well, we had fun while we lost it. So I think if anyone's vulnerable of like the five that we think are up there right now, I think it's actually Brana, not PTA. But then again, he's missed before. Mm -hmm. So like we thought maybe he gets in for the master and he didn't. And that didn't happen. Or like he got in for director for Phantom Thread, but not the screenplay. So, like, what if it's the reverse and, like, he gets in for the screenplay here, but he doesn't get in for director and the movie gets in for picture. So, you have to play that mm-hmm. scenario out. God, that would yeah. suck. Yeah. I, Belfast is kind of reminding me of the trial of the Chicago 7. We can't forget, like, that got a song nomination. Cinematography, editing were celebrated. Like, it got big things throughout the season. 
but walked away mm-hmm. empty-handed. So it doesn't necessarily right translate. It also kind of reminds me of three billboards versus the shape of water. What's happening right now? Like it might even have some wins, mm-hmm. and then just lose in the end. So not necessarily versus this. I'm thinking more power of the dog. But yeah, I think I can kind of see it that way. I hope PTA gets in. I have him in my five right now. Villeneuve, too. I forgot about Denis. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. What did I think about him? I was like, who's that other one that is like a lock right now? Or or not a lock, but like secure. That's the thing is like PTA, Spielberg. uh, You have, you know, Cohen. You have even McKay to a certain degree because his last two movies have been over celebrated Mm -hmm. like last year they had a bunch of people that like were brand new and this year they're just gonna play it safe and just go with their favorites and play Mm. the hits which but there's so many of them so it's like which ones are they gonna do I do think this is getting into picture I think with 10 spots I think we can count on seeing it there it'll play well on a ballot Mm -hmm. though I think so especially with the older demographic of the my parents loved it my dad never sees Paul Thomas Anderson mm-hmm. movies. And he was like, I'm dying to see it. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, what? What's happening mm-hmm. here? Worlds are colliding. We're crossing the streams. <laughs> okay, so if you could give this movie one Oscar, regardless of this year's competition, besides Best Picture, what would it be, Ryan? Best Director, because he should have one. Because he's the most important filmmaker in my life. And I think people like him and Spike should have best directing Oscars and shouldn't have to settle for writing because if they're the best at their craft, they should be celebrated. I'm in the same boat, best director for PTA. I think that, you know, this also would be a good win for him. It's not like this is a bad movie and he's just getting it as a career win. Like this would, this says a lot about where he is in his career and it's so well made. It's so well put together. And I would give this original screenplay. I think he deserves it. I think this movie deserves it. He's essentially saying to the competition, you know, I'm cooler than you and don't forget that. And it's it's an incredible script. I would see it again just for the lines. I love that. So that was our review of Licorice Pizza. Thank you again to Ryan for joining us for part one of this PTA celebration. You can go see Licorice Pizza in theaters now. In the second part of our episode, we'll be discussing our top five favorite PTA films and getting into some Twitter questions. If you like our show, please rate, review, and subscribe, and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Oscar Wilde Pod. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye.